Welcome to the Raising Kids Together podcast. Raising Kids Together is a place where moms of all ages and stages come together from all over the world to walk this journey of mothering with one another. This podcast is just a small glimpse into the things that we are talking about in our daily Zoom meetings. I am your host, Tina Smith, and each week you can listen in as I and others share God's word and grow in our spiritual parenting. I am praying that you are blessed as you listen in. Today we are in Revelation chapter 5. I bet you thought we'd never get here, um, but we are. And um, it's going to be um, kind of an extension of what we did last week, because last week we were in the throne room um, looking at the throne, the one who was on the throne and the, um, the creatures around the throne. Today, we're going back into the throne room of heaven and we're going to see um, a couple of things. Um, we're going to see a book and we're going to see a lamb. And so I'm pretty excited about this. Um, I will tell you that uh, I'm going to be on vacation next week, so I will not be teaching Revelation on Wednesday. You'll have a breathing, a little bit of breathing room. Um, and then the following Wednesday, we are launching into the, the seals, the seven seals that Jesus opens. So that should be very, very interesting. It is probably in all likelihood the start of what we know as the tribulation. Um, now there's the tribulation and there's the great tribulation. And as we go through all of, all of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, we'll, we'll, um, distinguish those. So that's two weeks from today. We will start with the, um, opening of the seals. All right, let's pray and we will get moving. Father, thank you so very much for the opportunity to gather with my sweet sisters, Lord, um, there's just something about gathering around the shared body of Christ that encourages us, that strengthens our faith, that, um, that just really gives us a boost to go on through our day. And so, Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Tina and for her dedication and her willingness and her love um, for all of us and just that she continues to make this forum available to us. Father, I just pray for, um, for all these ladies. I ask you to, to love on them, Lord, in the way that only a sweet heavenly father can do. God, I ask you to open our ears and our hearts to what you have to teach us today. Help us, Father, not just to, um, to read Revelation chapter 5, but to actually visualize ourselves there with John, seeing you, seeing Jesus, and um, just worshiping with the, the multitudes around the throne. And so, Father, we give you this time. We exalt you. We praise you. And, Father, we just bow down before you. And it's in the name of Jesus, the one who redeemed us from our sins, I ask these prayers. Amen. All right. So, Last week, as I said, we studied Revelation chapter four and we were in the throne room of God. Any um, as you've as you've had some time to ponder on that and marinate on that, any questions about anything we talked about last week? Comments? 
Nicole says, yesterday God took her to Revelation 4 and 5. It was interesting reading alone with only the Holy Spirit. Oh, I just bet it was. I bet it was. You'll have to share some of what he um, shared with you if you'd like, Nicole. All right. So today let's go to Revelation chapter 5 and I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. And um, if you've got your Bible, you read along with me. I'm reading as I always do from the New King James Version. Revelation chapter five. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. We're gonna come back and look at that in just a minute. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. John is still speaking. He says, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns. Remember, seven is the number of perfection and the horns would represent power. So perfect power and seven eyes. Eyes represent knowledge. So perfect knowledge, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Here we go, Sharon. Here's a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I want to come back to that and tell you a story. If I forget, somebody remind me every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Oh, sorry. Um, okay. Amen. So there we have. 14 short verses that give us a ton of information. Uh, so let's just kind of break this down. I hope everyone got the handout. Let me take just a second to um, link the handout in the file section. 
there's the handout. And then I'm also going to try to give you the, um, the drawing of Revelation chapter five. H have you been able to get the draw? Did you get the drawing of Revelation chapter four? And is it helpful? Are you loving that? I hope so. I hope it's really helpful to you. Okay, so the focus of chapter five, it, we have, there are two things that's the focus of chapter five. The first thing is a book or a scroll. The second thing is a lamb. Let's look at the book first. The word book or scroll is used in my translation. It's used eight times. So that tells us when something is repeated in scripture, that means that it is important. So what can we discern about this book? Well, let's go back and let's look and see what we find about this book or this scroll. First, it was held by the one on the throne. So we remember that the one on the throne is God and he is holding this book, which tells us that anything God's got his hands on is pretty important, right? So God is holding the scroll. It's written on the inside and on the back. Interesting. Now for you and I, that's not uncommon. So I have a piece of paper here and it's written on the inside and on the back. So that is not an uncommon thing. But in just a minute, we'll talk about why that might be very important. This book or this scroll was sealed with seven seals. Another very interesting point. The person to open it had to be worthy. And no one was found in heaven or, or on earth who was worthy to open it or to look into it. Now, I want us to stop just for a second. This is not on your handout. This just came to me in a flash of what might be termed brilliance or not. Um, it, it is interesting that the opening of this scroll is going to set off a whole lot of bad stuff. What we, in our human perspective, would look at as bad. But if you look in this passage, John wept because no one was worthy to open this scroll. So what, from our human perspective, may seem bad, from God's perspective, has purpose and is good and accomplishes his ultimate will. So I, I hope you can keep that in your mind. Um, yesterday when I was exercising, I was listening to a podcast that um, 15 minutes into the podcast, I thought I need to sit down and start taking notes because this is so good. It was Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is the, the lady who came up with the mind management system, the switch app that I, I use. She was interviewing and I'm blanking right now on the lady's name, but she is a Holocaust survivor. Um, and she ended up going on and it sounded like she became a, um, a counselor or a psychologist. But all that they were talking about was 
um, mind management and how to change your perspective on circumstances and so that you can look at your circumstances through a different lens. And so this Holocaust survivor was talking about how in the midst of the Holocaust, um, when she didn't know if the next moment when she went to get a shower, if there was gonna be water coming out or gas coming out to kill her, her perspective ended up being that she would look at the guards as the ones who were in prison because she had freedom in her mind because she was able to rethink all that was going on. Um, and that's a very poor recounting of this podcast. But if you have a chance to, to listen to it, I'll put it, the link in the band app. It was life changing for me um, to, to listen to this this woman who survived the, the Nazi reign of terror. So anyway, you didn't pay any extra for that, but I'm going to give it to you. Okay, so um, where did we get to? Okay, so the, the fact that it seemed like there was no one worthy in heaven to open the scroll brought John great distress. One of the 24 elders identifies the worthy one who was worthy because he overcame. And then another thing that we can discern about this book is that the worthy one takes the book from God. And I love that. I love that Jesus just walks right up to the throne and takes the book. He has complete access. And because of, of his access, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that we have access that same kind of access. So the worthy one took the book from God and this set off a um, just a, an absolute choir of worship in heaven of this worthy one. Um, Nicole was is saying um, while she was reading yesterday, it felt um, tense and, and you prayed fear away and focused on Jesus and asked why he wanted you to read this. He didn't tell you why. I've been focusing on worship more recently and asking what my motives and my heart are. That's always such a good thing to do, always, whether it's about worship or anything else, to examine our motives, examine our hearts, uh, because we can never go wrong doing that. All right, so what is this book? Well, in all likelihood, while books are very important for you and me, in those days, there were not books. And so this was probably a scroll that was rolled up and sealed with seven seals. And this was a, a quite a common practice in the Roman world. Um, Roman wills were created in this manner. And in fact, um, a lot of theologians think that this was a will, but they also, some other theologians think it was a deed or a contract. And I want to read an excerpt from one of my favorite commentators where he quotes another commentator about this, this scroll or this book um, and how it might well have been a deed. This kind of contract was known all over the Middle East in ancient times and was used by the Romans from the time of Nero on. The full contract would be written on the inner pages 
and sealed with seven seals. Then the content of the contract would be briefly described on the outside. All kinds of contract, all kinds of transactions were consummated this way, including marriage contracts, rental and lease agreements, release of slaves, contract bills, and bonds. Support also comes from Hebrew practices. The Hebrew document most closely resembling this scroll was a title deed that was folded and signed requiring at least three witnesses. A portion of text would be written, folded over and sealed with a different witness signing at each fold. A larger number of witnesses meant that more importance was assigned to the document. So there's all kinds of, of um, streams of thought about what this actually might have been. Um, I'm going to go with, because in my study, it's, it sounds like the most plausible. That doesn't mean it is. Um, God didn't have to ask me what this was going to be. He figured it out, and we'll know when we get to heaven. Uh, but I'm going to go with a deed a title deed. And so when you buy your home, there's a title to it. When you buy a car, there's a title to it. And it says that it belongs to the bank until you have paid the bank and then it, that item belongs to you. So a title deed or a will, either one, can only be opened by the heir if it's a will or by the person who has paid the price for that particular item, if it is a title, okay? Um, Hebrews chapter one talks about this a little bit. Um, Hebrews one, verses one, two, and five, gives us a little bit of a, an insight into into um, whether this might be a will or a deed. Hebrews chapter one, verse one says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the fathers, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed what? Heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. And skip down to verse five, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So these verses uh, kind of give us a hint that this document might very well be a will or a title deed because the one who has paid the price, Christ, the heir, Christ, is worthy to open this scroll. Now, if this is a, um, a, an, a will, this is not necessarily describing what Jesus is going to inherit because he's got it all. It belongs to him, lock, stock, and barrel. But rather, it's going to describe perhaps how Jesus will gain his rightful inheritance because, you know, right now it's very obvious to most anyone that Satan has 
a lot of sway over this world. But it's not always going to be that way. And when Jesus steps out of heaven, the end is in sight for Satan. And so um, through divine judgments that are coming, and we're going to study those, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, through divine judgments that are going to be poured out on the earth, Jesus is going to gain his rightful inheritance. Um, Another commentator really believes that this book is not a deed, but rather just an unfolding of the events that are coming. Um, and Jesus was the only one who was worthy to set those events in motion. Either way, whatever it is, it requires a worthy one to open it and set things in motion. So let's take a look at that worthy one. Let's look back at Revelation chapter five and see what we can learn about the worthy one. And we're gonna go several places in scripture as we, um, as we look at Jesus. Um, Revelation five, five through seven says, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Every time I read that, I think, and you're just now noticing that. How did you miss that? A lamb looking as if it had been slain. How in the world did you miss that? Uh, but nonetheless, um, so why was Jesus worthy? Why was he worthy? Well, in Hebrews 1 verse 2, we saw that he is the heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. All right. So now let's go to Psalm chapter 2 verse 8. So a funny story, when I was in my other life years ago in the medical field, I was looking at a, um, a health history that someone had filled out and they were telling us all the, the, um, the things that the illnesses and things that they had going on. And they had written out that they had sweaty, they were trying to say palms, but they said Psalms. Sweaty Psalms. So if anybody has sweaty Psalms, there's probably some help for that. All right. So Psalm 2.8, it says, um, let's go back to seven. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Okay. So now that should ring a bell because that's what we read in Hebrews chapter one. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So God promised Christ the nations as his inheritance. Now, we're not going to go read it, but the book of Ruth 
is the story of Ruth and Boaz. And Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Have you heard that term before, kinsman redeemer? This in, in ancient times, let me just give you a brief description of it. In ancient times, when a, um, when a husband died, if there were no sons, the wife could appeal to the closest male relative to redeem her. Um, very often in ancient Jude uh, Jewish families, when a husband died, um, the, the brother married that husband's wife so as to provide an heir for his brother. I actually, interestingly enough, I actually dated a, a guy in pharmacy school whose um, father was actually his uncle because this had happened. Um, and so Boaz married Ruth and redeemed, Tanya said no to Zach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, Tanya, you're obviously not a good Jewish girl. <laughs> Jamie, how would you feel about that with a client? <laughs> ah, okay, so Boaz was the nearest relative to Elimelech, who was Naomi, Naomi's husband. Naomi and Elimelech gave birth to three sons. Ruth married one of the sons. All three of the sons, God killed them. And so then um, there were no there were no brothers to marry Ruth. And so when they went back to um, to to Canaan, to the promised land, to Bethlehem, um, the nearest person in the family ended up being Boaz. And so he married Ruth. He was her kinsman and he was her redeemer her kinsman redeemer. It is a beautiful concept in scripture. And so that is what Jesus is to us. He is our kinsman. We are his, his um, because, because we believe in him, we are, um, are in the lineage of Christ. So he is our kinsman and he is our redeemer. Beautiful, beautiful concept. And so in the book of Ruth, um, it tells us about the kinsman redeemer and Jesus became our kinsman redeemer. So he is worthy because he redeemed us with his blood. All right. If we look at Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48 verses 8 and 10. 8 through 10 tells us. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. And Joseph brought them near and he kissed them and embraced them. And um, then verse 10, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude on earth. Okay, that's not the right verse. Ah, 49. Sorry, 49. 
Uh, 49, 8 and 10. Okay, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of the enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. So here's the lion reference, the Judah reference. And as a lion who shall rouse him. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Okay, so Judah... And then let's go to Matthew chapter 1 as a corresponding verse. Matthew chapter 1. This is the book of the genealogy of who? Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah. And then if you look all the way down in verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So Christ was of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, interestingly, Revelation uses the title lamb for Christ, 28 times, but this word and this lamb concept is all throughout scripture from Genesis 22, seven, all the way to <clears throat> John chapter one. And I want us to look at John chapter one for a minute. Because what we're doing is establishing that Jesus is worthy to open the seals. John chapter one, and look at verse 29. This is the baptism of Christ. John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. And it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the what? Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so all throughout scripture, Jesus as a lamb, that name is all the way throughout scripture. Nicole said, Cliff and I were talking a few, a few days ago about Jesus and the Bible stuff. Why is Jesus called the Lion of Judah? Okay, head back to Genesis 49, 8 through 10. And there it is, is where... Um, it is established. We'll go back and look at that verse again. Genesis 49. So this is a messianic passage, very much uh, a few verses that point forward to, to the Messiah. Uh, 49.8, Jude, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. This is definitely, um, remember a few weeks ago when I talked about near far prophecy, um, prophecy that's going to take place now and prophecy that's going to take place far away. Okay, so this is far prophecy. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. 
Who do we praise when we worship today? Jesus. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Who is Christ coming back to defeat? His arch enemy, death and hell and the grave. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse him. So um, Judah's lion, Judah's line, L-I-N-E, um, was very, very strong. And there was a lot of national prominence and kingship that came through the line of Judah. David, Solomon, many, many um, kings after that. And so they were considered to be the strongest, the lion in all of um, Israel's sons. Um, and a scepter shall not depart from Judah. So scepter ruling kingship, uh, the rule will continue forever, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Um, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So that is why Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. He comes from the kingly line of all the sons of Israel. Um, Vanessa said, God refers to Christ as the lion from the tribe of Judah, who will be the one that all nations will fall under in obedience to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So that is why Jesus was worthy. He fulfilled so very many of the, the requirements to be worthy to open the scrolls, the scroll and its seals. Um, and so he walks over, he takes the scroll from the hand of God and worship starts. Um, and that's when um, there's some really interesting things in verse eight. Um, it says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before um, the lamb, each having a heart and golden bowls full of incense. Anytime incense is referenced in scripture, it's a reference. It's a, it's a kind of a, um, how do I describe it? It's a reference to the prayers of the saints. If you go back to the Old Testament tabernacle, the altar of incense was positioned just before you go into the Holy of Holies and incense would be burned on that altar twice a day. And that symbolized prayer going up before God who was represented in the Holy of Holies. So incense is the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Okay. So I want to tell you a story about tribe and tongue and people and nation. And, um, I'm trying to think of the song. It's a Gaither song. Oh, my gosh. Why can I not remember it? Maybe it'll come to me in a minute. Um, Lord, Lord, I stand in the midst of a multitude. No, it's not. But that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, 
oh, I thought about it a minute ago. And my brain is so bad. If I don't write something down, I, it just whoop, goes. So the first time I went to Israel in 2006, um, we were, uh, we'd finished our tour. It was the last day there. And we were in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was crucified and buried. So we had just visited the garden tomb and we came out. Oh, Vanessa says she wants to go. It is such an amazing trip. It's a, it's definitely a bucket list trip. I really encourage you to go if you at all can. Um, oh, I just remember the name of the song. Let me write it down. That's sad, isn't it? I can't remember it two minutes to tell you this story. So we were, um, we had left the garden tomb. We were seated in a space in the garden and the garden is huge. And there are places all around the garden for groups to sit after they come out of the tomb to take communion. I can hardly tell the story without crying. So we came out, we sat down, they had passed out the, um, the elements. Each of us had a little um, olive wood chalice that we were drinking the wine out of. And they passed out the elements. And I don't remember the exact timing. We may have already eaten the bread and we're getting ready to drink the wine or it, we may have not had either of them yet. But the past, our pastor was talking about the elements and all of a sudden from somewhere else in the garden, this group in another language begins singing because he lives. I can still hear it. And we joined in in English and sang along with them. And the Lord gave me such a vision of every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping around the throne. It will be heaven, Vanessa. There will be no racial differences. There will be no differences. The only thing will be that we, with one tongue, will be worshiping Jesus around the throne. It's such a vivid memory for me, and I cannot take communion without remembering it and take going back to that time. And so I hope that even as we begin our journey through the difficult parts of revelation, you will remember today when we are worshiping around the throne, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I am counting on the fact that even though I cannot sing worth a flip here, I'm going to sound like Sharon in heaven. I'm so thankful that you joined us for this week's episode of the Raising Kids Together podcast. I hope you've been blessed by listening in on our Zoom room. 
we would love for you to join us. You can come when you can and come as you are. Simply go to RaisingKidsOnYourKnees.org and click the button on the front page to enter the Raising Kids Together Zoom Room. We meet Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Have a great day.